Hey there, welcome to another episode of the Bible and Life podcast. Yesterday in the United States was Father's Day, and for me it was a great day as a dad and a grandpa. I had the family over to the house, had a barbecue, and had an extended family, my mom, my sister, a couple of my sister's sons, and so just a great day. And uh, if you swing on over to my Instagram, there's an adorable little picture of my two granddaughters sitting side by side. Uh, on the cornhole board, just sitting there like they're having their own little conversation. They're like a year and a half old, but it's just so adorable sitting there. And that's kind of typ- typifies the day yesterday. It's just great to be together as family, great to hang out, uh, great just to spend time eating together, talking, catching up, and being together. Wonderful day. So uh, loved it. Loved Father's Day. Loved being with the family. Uh, huge blessing. We ended the day by actually going over to my wife's uh, uh, mom and dad's place and sitting on their porch and chatting with them for a little bit, catching up with them. So all the way around, great day as a family. All right, we've been in a, a series that we're kind of packaging under this idea of re-socializing. What we ba- basically said the first couple weeks is that when we become Christians, we join a new family. We join a new kingdom. We join the people of God. And that means there are new ways of operating, new values, new practices that really shape and govern our life. And so we've used the word re-socializing to describe this. We could just as very well use the word reculturing, like we're learning a new culture, the, the new culture of the new family that we're now a part of. And so there's new ways of viewing work. There's new ways of viewing money, new ways of relating to other people, new ways of talking, new hopes, new ambitions, new drives, new goals. And if we truly have confidence in Jesus, then we adopt these new ways of doing things and we just begin to learn how to do them. That's what it means to be a disciple. That's what it means to be part of Jesus' family. One of the ways I couch this in sermons, at least here in the States, is this. Are we Americans who call ourselves Christians, or are we Christians who happen to live in America? The same could be said for many of you who live in other places. Are are we Canadians who happen to call ourselves Christians, or are we Christians who just happen to live in Canada? Are we South Africans who call ourselves Christians, or are we first and foremost Christians who happen to live in South Africa, right? You get the force of the question, wherever you live, what culture shapes your way of life more? The culture of the country you're living in with its values, beliefs, practices, or the culture of Jesus and his kingdom and his new family? What culture defines you and I? That's what we've been exploring in this particular series. And so what I want to do today is I want to look at a passage that in a lot of ways is like one of the key passages for this idea of re-socializing or reculturing. It comes out of Colossians chapter 3. In fact, Colossians 3 is a chapter that you you ought to just read through and spend time with, maybe absorb, even memorize, and let it begin to shape those values and ideas and practices of this new culture. Because it's a really, I mean, just like thorough, condensed description of the new culture of the way of Jesus. Let me just read you some of this. Uh, Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to pick up in verse 5 and just read down through a fairly sizable chunk of the chapter. 
it's a big chunk. Bear with me, right? The Apostle Paul says, give attention to the public reading of Scripture. So that's sort of what I'm doing. I'm giving public reading of Scripture here, but I want us to hear the way Paul, just in a real condensed form, describes some of the values and practices of our new culture. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 5, he says this, Therefore, put to death the parts of your earthly body to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. It's because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience, and in them you also once walked when you were living by them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abuse, and speech from your mouth. Don't lie to one another because you've laid aside the old self with its evil practices and you've put on the new self who's being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there's no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free man. But Christ is all and in all. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and dearly loved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, putting up with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you forgive each other. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell among you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, that's just a beautiful description of some of the things that ought to really characterize our new culture, our new life together in the new family of Jesus. Let me just make some general observations up front, and then I want to focus on one little piece of it uh, and maybe how we could practice that piece of it. All right, so some general observations as I just read through Colossians 3, 5 through 17. The first general observation is this. There are some ways, when we're talking about re-socializing, there's some old ways to eliminate, and there's new ways to add. There's old practices and old values to get rid of, eliminate, and there's new values, new practices to add to your life to take up. It's not just enough to get rid of the bad. You have to replace it with the good, right? You don't have a beautiful garden just because you till the soil and pull some weeds. You've got to plant the flowers or you've got to plant the vegetables if it's a vegetable garden. The same is true in this reculturing. We've got to grow virtue. We don't just root out vice. We've got to grow the good habits, the good culture. So we have to eliminate some bad things, but we've got to replace them with the new virtues, the new practices of Jesus. And that's what you see here, right? He talks about, uh, you know, considering the parts of your earthly body as dead to. And he talks about getting rid of these things. He talks about putting aside, laying them all aside. And then he goes on and talks about putting on compassion and kindness and all that. So get rid of some of these old things, pull those weeds out, and replace them with new practices, new behaviors. That's the first observation. Second one is this, that... When we talk about re-socializing, what we're really talking about is living who you are now, 
living who you are now. It's not trying to become something that you're not. It's living up to the new status you've been given. You see that here in this passage. It begins with the word therefore, and therefore forces us to go back to the beginning. And when you do that, you see the last line, verse 4, is when Christ, who is our life, is revealed. That's our new identity. Christ is now our life. We have this new identity in him. You hear it in the middle of the text when he says, because you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and you've put on the new self. There's a change in identity. You've, you've gotten rid of the old self. You've put on the new self. You have a new identity. You hear it in verse 12 when he says, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and dearly loved. That's who you are now. And so this re-socializing is just living who you are. It's living out your new identity. Um, Anger, consuming sexual desire, hostility, gossip, slander. Those things just don't align with your, your, who you are now. That's not who you are, so you get rid of them. And then just kind of a question by way of general observation. Can you imagine, just imagine, can you imagine a life where the, those things in the first half of this paragraph aren't strategies for managing your life and relationships anymore? Where anger, hostility, right, like consuming sexual desire, gossip, slander. Those just aren't practices for or strategies for managing your life and your relationships anymore. That's part of your old identity, but you've moved, you've changed families, you've changed realms, and this family does things differently. And they, This family believes there's a better way of managing life and relationships. And so you're just being called to live out who you are. Over the next several episodes of this podcast, what I want to do is I want to take specific values and practices that are important to the new culture that we're learning as Jesus' disciples and explore those, all right? That's really where I want to go. And here, at this point in time, in this episode, out of this passage in Colossians 3, let's just take one piece. Let's just focus on one practice. It's, it's the idea of anger and hostility. He said this in Colossians 3, verse 8. But now you also put them all aside, he says, and then he lists them off. Anger, wrath, which anger and wrath here in Greek are just two different words for anger. One that's more that settled state of anger where you're just kind of carrying around anger under the surface ready to explode at any second. And then the other one is the explosion, the losing your cool, losing your temper, anger, wrath, malice. Malice is just ill will towards people where you're just kind of bitter, resentful, and you have ill will and you kind of like, I hope you get yours, right? Anger, wrath, malice, slander, gossip, running people down, abusive speech from your mouth. This is just an angry, hostile way of describing life. It's an, a strategy of managing your life and your relationships using anger and hostility to get what you want or to put people in their place or to defend yourself. Um, and here's the thing. When we respond in anger, two things are, more often than not, two things are in play. First is this, we wish to hurt somebody else. When we respond in anger, we wish to hurt somebody else. That's why we say hurtful words or we think hurtful things about somebody else, right? Like we, we, we want to jab them. We want to make them hurt. When we're angle, angry, we, we wish to hurt somebody. It's why we feel hurt when we learn somebody's angry at us, right? Like that's just the nature of anger. Anger is a wounding practice. It's a hurting practice. Second thing that's in play when we respond in anger is, and more often than not, we're seeking to defend 
or establish in some way our own worth and identity. In fact, people that carry around a supply of anger or have a chip on their shoulder do so because of a wounded sense of self, a wounded sense of identity, a a wounded sense of worth and value. And so they, they respond very easily to anything that they take as a threat or an attack on their sense of worth and identity. Um, that's why recognizing that we have a new identity in Christ, that we're chosen by God and dearly loved by him, that's why it's so important for putting off anger. It's like, I don't have to defend myself. I don't have to prove myself. I I don't have to establish my own sense of identity or worth or make you think I'm important. I don't have to do any of that. Why? Because I'm chosen by God and dearly loved by him. And that takes a lot of that pressure off. And so um, recognizing and valuing our new identity in Christ is so important to really dealing with anger. So let's just talk about uh, dealing with anger. And since Paul says, lay that aside, lay aside anger and all this hostility, get rid of that. That's just, that's an old strategy for managing life and relationships. That's part of the old you, the old identity, the way that you know, people outside of Christ do it, but we've moved into Christ and we have a new family. So lay that aside. So let's just talk about laying that aside a little bit. Now, remember that the goal isn't merely to pull the weeds of anger from your heart. It's to plant a beautiful garden of patience and peace, which Paul mentions in the second half of the passage I read, right? He talks about putting on a heart of patience. He talks about putting up with one another in love. He talks about uh, letting the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, uh, indeed, to which you were called in one body, right? Patience and peace now being uh, replacing anger and hostility and malice in your heart. And so the goal isn't merely to pull the weeds of anger from your heart. It's to plant a beautiful garden of patience and peace so that patience and peace are rooted deeply in your heart, settled in your heart. And that's what more often than not you operate out of is patience and peace. So when dealing with anger and hostility, the real question is this. How can I cultivate peace and patience in my heart? How can I cultivate peace and patience in my heart? So our task is really twofold, particularly early on our our task is twofold. We've We've got to pull some weeds and prepare the soil, right? We've got to pull out some weeds, things, you know, that triggered our anger, things, you know, just the weeds of anger, hostility, or whatever's getting in the way, prepare the soil. And then the other part is we've got to plant and cultivate peace and patience in our heart. That's our task if we actually want to lay aside all this anger and hostility and put on peace and patience. And in order to do that, we need a plan to, to intentionally pull the weeds and plant peace and patience, right? Like just with your your garden in your at your house, right? Like wishing for the weeds to go away isn't going to make them go away, is it? Right? Like, oh man, I sure wish I didn't have so many weeds in my garden. That doesn't make them go away. Wanting them to go away, thinking about them going away doesn't make them go away, right? Like, oh, it would be so great to have a beautiful vegetable garden. Then we could just eat fresh fresh vegetables, right? Like, Oh, picturing that, dreaming about that doesn't make them go away. You have to have a plan to intentionally do it and then put in the effort to do it. Same is true in Christ. If we are going to 
lay aside anger, wrath, malice, and all that hostility, and put on peace and patience, then we're going to have to have a plan to intentionally do that. It's going to have to be wise, and we're going to, have to put forth some effort. So let me just offer a few, there's so much that could be said, right? Like, I don't have any illusions that in the next five, seven minutes or whatever, we're going to solve this. But let me just give you at least some practices that as you prayerfully sit with God and think about, let me give you some practices that I've learned in my life, I've learned in helping others that can help us intentionally pull the weeds of anger and hostility and begin to cultivate and plant peace and patience. All right, here's some practices. First one is very simple. Identify and examine your triggers. Identify and examine what 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 triggers anger in you or what makes you more likely to get angry. For example, I had a friend who liked to play basketball and would would play basketball for kind of the social side of it, but he found that playing basketball, just the competitive nature of basketball, the way sometimes people on the basketball court acted towards each other and all that, it just stirred up feelings and desires within him that made him more likely to lose his cool. In the game or even after the game with his family, he just found himself more agitated, more stirred up, and it just wasn't worth it. So he eventually just gave up basketball. It was like the the benefits of basketball weren't weren't worth the consequences for his soul health, for the effect on people around him. It was just somehow the competitive experience of basketball and the nature of the game just made him more likely to lose his cool. It wasn't worth it. He found other ways to get exercise and other things he enjoyed. Um, Talk to uh, 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 other guys for whom they liked watching certain kinds of movies, right? Like some of those, uh, what I describe as shoot 'em up movies that aren't necessarily terribly violent, terribly awful in themselves, but they ha they have a spirit of revenge about them and a spirit of retaliation. And I've talked to some guys who's like, as they walked more with Christ, they realized, man, those movies, while maybe in and of themselves weren't awful. Those movies just stirred up feelings and desires and their adrenaline in such a way that they found themselves being more agitated in the same sort of thing. They lost their patience. They were just more easily and irritated. They get home, the adrenaline's flowing, something happens with the kids, boom, they pop off, they lose their cool. It's like, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Maybe you just need to say, you know, uh, I, I just can't be around those movies. They just stir up desires. Social media does that for some people. Social media, and you sc scroll through your thread, and some of the memes, some of the things, some of the things people post, just like gets people all riled up and agitated. Is it really worth it? Maybe you need to put it put it in place. Maybe find a way to manage it. Right? Identify and examine your triggers. That's what we're talking about. And here's a question. Here's a question that's maybe part of examining your triggers. Just ask yourself this. What's my blocked goal or desire? Not always, but very often, anger is the direct result of some goal or some desire being blocked. Uh, getting you know, something hindering, something we want, or a goal we're after, and then we get angry because that goal or that desire is blocked. And so asking that question, what's my blocked goal or desire, well, that helps us be more self-aware. That helps us understand what's going on in ourselves. For example, with me. I have found that there are times that I get annoyed or frustrated with uh, my wife because I feel like I'm not being listened to. And then as I've examined and, and uh, reflected on that, um, there were plenty of times during my growing up years where I just felt like 
I didn't necessarily have a voice about certain things, or I felt like people were really not taking a genuine interest in what I was talking about. And so there's this history of me feeling not listened to. And so when I'm not feeling listened to, I'm more quick, more prone to respond. Well, being aware of that helps me understand what's going on. It helps me manage it a little bit more and maybe figure out how to address that. Um, Asking that question, what's my block goal or desire, can help me see maybe how silly I'm being at times. Right? Like it can help you see how silly you're being. Like, that's really silly. Like, that's what I'm angry about. Oh man, come on, John, grow up, right? It can help me see how silly I'm being. And that, that can be helpful. It can even help us identify maybe legitimate needs or desires that we might need to figure out how to communicate more effectively. Like maybe there is a legitimate need or desire that's that's going blocked or unmet. And maybe there's a way we could communicate it and work together to try to find a solution to that. Or maybe there's a legitimate need or desire that for whatever reason, in our current set of circumstances, in our current relational structure, or in the fallen world we live in, just isn't going to be met or met fully. And so we can entrust ourselves to God for those unmet desires that just they're not going to be met here and now fully and completely. And we just entrust ourselves to God and just let him be the thing that satisfies our soul. So what's my blocked goal or desire? Just ask that. Become aware of that. Know what's going on within you a little bit more. Another, uh, another practice, another tip for dealing with anger, hostility, and all of that is question your own virtue. Question your own v virtue. Here's what I mean by that is anger almost always includes a sense of self-righteousness. We want to defend ourselves. We want to deny it, but it's true. If we didn't think we were right, we wouldn't be defending ourselves and we wouldn't be angry. That's just the way anger works. It's just the nature of anger is there's some some right that you are crossing or you know challenging or going against, and I'm feeling slighted, right? So there's always a little sense of self-righteousness. And if we question our own virtue... It actually cuts the root out of anger. Dallas Willard, in one of his books, says, To rage on, I must, I must regard myself as mistreated or as engaged in the rectification of an unbearable wrong. Like there's been some, some wrong against me, and I've got to right that wrong. Well, if we question our own virtue, maybe I'm not quite as right as I thought. Maybe I've got a part to play in this. Maybe somehow I've contributed to that. That just lessens the tension out of it, begins to cut the root out of anger, maybe helps us see things from another person's perspective and helps us see maybe where we could have done something different. We don't have to take on unnecessary guilt, right? We don't have to take on anything where we're not legitimately wrong, but at least we could say, well, maybe I'm not quite as right as I thought. And then we could see things from another person's perspective and we this kind of lets the air out of blaming them completely and totally and it can quickly reduce anger. So those are some tips. Here's another one that, that, that to me is just really powerful. This begins to move more from pulling the weeds of anger and hostility to cultivating peace and patience. I would say this, drink deeply from the fountain of God's love and God's welcome for you. Drink deeply from the fountain of God's love and the way God has welcomed you into his family. Just Spend time there. Regularly soak in that. Regularly drink in God's love for you. We don't have to prove ourselves. You don't have to secure your own life. You don't have to defend yourself. You're loved by your Heavenly Father. Deeply and dearly loved, as even this passage says, you've been chosen by Him. He'll 
meet all your needs. He'll meet all your needs now and ultimately forever. He'll meet all your needs. You have incredible worth and it's verifiable and provable. Why? Because it because Jesus, the very Son of God, gave himself for you. So drink deeply from that fountain. And man, you no longer have to feel like that you have to prove yourself. You have to defend your worth. You have to secure your life. You, have, you don't have to do any of that because God loves you. And he chose you to be part of his family. Man, we're running out of time. Let me just hit a couple other practices real quick here. Deal with any forgiveness issues. Like a lot of times, uh, even... Un we're unaware of it, but underlying some of our anger is it's really misdirected that there are forgiveness issues when our within our heart. And so there's like little pockets of anger and bitterness because of hurt and woundedness within our heart. And then somebody says something that pokes that spot and it leaks out all over them. And it's like, oh, that you're experiencing not just the, the hurt that you just caused, you're experiencing years of hurt from a forgiveness issue that I haven't really dealt with. So deal with any forgiveness issues in your life. Uh, forgive those who have wronged you. And if uh, maybe it's as simple as just, right, like intentionally letting them off your hook and leaving them on God's hook and letting God take care of them. And God will sort it all out. God will execute perfect justice. He'll right all wrongs someday. He can hold them accountable. You don't have to. And just intentionally give grace at whoever wronged you in the past. Right. So deal with any forgiveness issues. So much could be said about that. Maybe we'll deal with that at some point in the future. Create margins in your life. Another practice for cultivating peace and patience. Create margins. Like, Oftentimes when our life is just so incredibly busy and full, we're, we're, just, we're more quick to lose our temper, we're more quick to lose our uh, cool. So how, do you, how can you create margins in your life? How can you practice slowing? Slowing. Saying no to some things, creating some margins in your life, creating space so every waking minute isn't full. How can you do that? In your own current life, what can you do to cut some unnecessary things out of your life so you can slow down? Create some margins so you have space to cultivate peace and patience in your life. Two more, real quick. Actively treasure those around you. Actively treasure those around you. Those closest to you in your own family, treasure them, right? Like actively do that. And even those that are, you know, maybe a step two or what, people at work, your neighbors. How could you actively treasure them so that you're demonstrating active kindness and love towards them? So that you begin to see them as a, a creature made in the image of God who has inherent value. Even if they're annoying at times and all of that, you, you recognize their worth and their value. So instead of becoming something that's getting in the way of your life, they become somebody that you can bless on behalf of God. And then last one, practice Thanksgiving. Practice. Don't, don't just do Thanksgiving when, man, something good happens. You feel like it. Practice it if you have to as a discipline. Um, write out things that you're thankful for. Every day, take some time to thank God for big things and small things in your life. Practice Thanksgiving as a habit, as a discipline, because it's really, really hard to be angry and be grateful at the exact same time. Man, there's so much more that could be said on this uh, subject. Remember the principle, though. When, he, when Paul says, lay aside anger and wrath, put on peace and patience. Those things don't happen on accident. They don't happen just because, oh yeah, I should really do that. They happen as with God and under God 
by the power of the Spirit, we intentionally have a plan for pulling the weeds of anger and hostility out of our life and cultivating peace and patience so that it's settled deep in our soul, so that more regularly and more routinely, we respond out of peace and patience. As we do that, as we do that, we're learning the new culture of the family of God that we have been welcomed into because of his great grace. All right, thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Bible and Life. Before we leave, real quick, I just wanted to say uh, to some of you, this may be helpful. Did you know that I work with churches? I have a series of courses that churches can subscribe to and use as part of their own discipleship process. Not everybody knows that. want to make you aware of that. It's available on my website. I will put a link down below. If you've got questions about that, feel free to reach out to me. I would love to help you make more and better disciples in your church if you're a pastor or a missionary or something like that. Hey, thanks to each and every one of you for being a part of the Bible and Life family. Thanks for those of you who support this show. It is a listener-supported podcast, so thanks for your financial support. Thanks for your prayer support. God bless each and every one of you. Go in peace, walk with Jesus, and bring honor and glory to Him. Look forward to talking to you again real soon.